Uh, hey, Blessed Sawin, welcome to the Bad Bitch segment. I'm Kate. I'm Court. Glad to have you back. Yeah, welcome back to this spooky-ass podcast we're going to do today. Yes, I'm so excited for this one. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to give you some updates. I don't know, was there anything regarding last week's podcast you had to say? Did we have any updates? Did we want to talk about anything before we get into it? No, I was, I mean, I was kind of worried about the last one because I felt like I was, I don't know, all over the place or didn't get enough in there. But when I listened to it, you did a great job editing and the music <laughs> was awesome. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, I've you been did going a good job. through it the last couple weeks been really fucking busy yeah kind of get some burnout but oh my god i'm super busy too yeah yeah it's been crazy work this and work weekend and work. but i'm also excited for this weekend gypsy parlor it's doing taste and we're gonna get dressed up yes go out and see some of our friends play some good house music yes you always gotta love a taste party they're the best yes yeah yeah, I went to Vermont this last weekend. That's all that went on with me. A lot of driving, and I'm still recovering from it. Yeah. And I speed finished up this episode. So I hope you guys think I did a good job today. <laughs> I'm sure you did wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, well, if that's all, I guess we can just get started. Hell yeah. We've had a couple of weeks where we've just covered some witches and everything, but since it's spooky season and this is technically the Halloween episode, it's going to be airing on the 30th, we had to go real spooky with this. Yes. And spooky season would not be complete if there wasn't an exorcism story. Yes. Yeah, but this isn't your typical exorcism story. We don't have any priests coming in, throwing holy water, no Screaming preteens with their heads spinning around. Um, no, no pea soup was involved in the making of this episode. Yeah, no uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren coming in, doing their demonology investigations. Nope, none of that. Most of the time when you think of an exorcist, that's what comes to mind. And also no shade to Lorraine Warren because I used to love her when she was on that show Paranormal State. Where- She's on our list. Oh, yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna cover her someday. There's some discrepancy about her. Yes, there's a lot of discrepancy about what they actually did and how much they actually helped people. But anyway, I'm not throwing any shade. This is not the exorcist that you know, not your church's exorcist and not the typical Hollywood exorcist. Although this is the exorcist for Hollywood. Oh, shit. Now she's the exorcist for Hollywood? Basically. She's done tons of this woman who we're talking about today would actually refer to herself as goth Barbie. She has helped over 10,000 people and been doing exorcisms for over a decade now. Who we are covering today is Rachel Stavis, otherwise known as R.H. Stavis. She's a non-denominational exorcist, screenwriter for film, television, and video games. Holy shit. Yeah, and she's also published four horror novels under the name R.H. Stavis. Ah. So I just want to like interject real here because we were introduced to Rachel Stavis. Is it Stavis or Stavis? It's Stavis. And I only know that because I was listening to like a podcast on YouTube today and I heard her say it out loud and it's Stavis. Yeah. (laughs) 
my first hardcore listen of podcasts was Mysterious Universe. Mm -hmm. They're these two awesome Australian guys. They go into real weird shit. And they covered her a long time ago. I think like four years now. I'm pretty sure it was like 2017 or 2018. It's been that long. Because this book was published in 2017. And he definitely covered her like really soon after the book was published. Okay, so then I was gifted this book by an ex. But it was suggested from Courtney over here because he didn't know what to give me. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I read it a long time ago and I I just like love it and it makes so much sense to me like hmm. entities and like how she named them and this and that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what she's been up to since she wrote the book. Yeah, there's a lot going on. What's really cool. So she makes her living basically as a writer for the most part and she one of her most memorable works is she created the backstory for the video game Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Oh shit! Yeah, so I did not know that. Yeah, pretty cool. She's a queen. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. So she does her exorcism work pro bono. So that's free. She doesn't think that she should charge for something like this because it's a gift for spirit, and she thinks everybody should be able to be exercised have the opportunity to heal yeah Yeah. because sometimes it's someone's last resort they've gone through all the things to all the doctors to all the therapists to all the energy healers and nothing has worked yeah you know finally they come to her and she's able to help them according to rachel 85% of the population has an attachment to them. We probably have attachments right now. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody listening, you probably have some sort of attachment. If you don't now, you probably have at some point in your life. It doesn't always mean that it's a really, really bad, evil thing. Yeah. Uh, She has a whole system of explaining what these entities are and classifying them she doesn't refer to them as demons because when you think of demons you think of movie demons and that's not always necessarily what you're encountering we'll go into what kind of entity she sees a little later on she's been seeing these entities her whole entire life though she says that basically how you would recognize your parents face since you were a kid that's how she feels when she sees entity. It's just always been there and she's always been seeing them. Also, it isn't always just bad ones that she sees. She can see the good ones too. Although we're going to cover these really scary ones today, she does discuss some lighter ones in her book also. So the book she's written about her experience is a memoir and that's what I'm mostly covering today. But I will talk a little bit more about what's going on with her recently because this was released, I think, in 2017. The book is called Sister of Darkness, The Chronicles of a Modern Exorcist. It's written by her, R.H. Davis, as well as with um, Sarah Durant. There's also a couple videos I watched on YouTube by Refinery29. Oh, and then something on Tubi that I'm going to tell you about later. That's really cool. Those all will be linked in the podcast notes. Yeah, so let's see. And just to make this clear... Rachel doesn't want people to think that they should go to her and not seek out medical attention. Mental illness and an entity attachment aren't 
mutually exclusive, although they can go hand in hand. You may have an attachment that is exacerbating whatever amounts of illness that you are experiencing. So it might be resistant to treatment and things like that because of this attachment. So I know I'm going a little far into it already, but so yes, we're talking about spirit attachments today. So Rachel, let's see. Rachel's been seeing entities her entire life at first as just blurry, smoky figures, but at about age nine, they became more clear. She figured that spirit, which is what she refers to as like God or the universe or like, you you know, whatever source, that's what she refers to it. And she thinks spirit was kind of protecting her. And then I guess decided at age nine (laughs) was the time to see him, which I'm still like, that's still a little young. Poor girl. Yeah. 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 I mean, but, a lot of a lot of kids back then they they do see spirits, but they just don't know what they're recognizing. Yeah, you know, like even just like grandparents have passed away and mm-hmm. this and that, they'll just make offhanded remarks, and you'll be like, "What? Mm-hmm. Like you never met Uncle Bob?" Yeah, you yeah. Know? And there's there could be something more nefarious sometimes about seeing uh, relatives, but we'll mm. get into that later. Not always, but sometimes, especially um, with children. Shapeshifters. Yeah, well, children are much closer to source as our animals, so they're always going to be more open to that. If your cat or your dog is seeing something that you're not seeing, you should probably trust them. Yeah. You know, so she um, will talk a little bit more about that, too. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. (laughs) She started seeing more clear at age nine, but throughout her life, they kind of would play little tricks on her, you know, moving her keys, doing weird like she had this way that she would roll up her socks as a kid as I think it's how I roll them up too so they were always rolled up until she was going to put them on and she had thrown them on the bed one day put it on her pile of clothes turned and walked away went to her closet to grab something else and when she turned around the socks had been pulled apart and laid out for her and she was like that's weird. I definitely didn't do that. Yeah. So little things like that that are very nefarious. But she also had some really dark shit happen to her too as a kid. Because when we start discussing what type of entity she sees, she was seeing these things at a very young age. And these things are scary as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember the description of the succubus she talked about. Yes. Yeah. With this one guy and just at being latched on his back and just mm-hmm. being scary. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. A darker thing that happened to her as a kid, one particular night she had this weird dream where she was holding a baby doll. And she wasn't the type of kid to play with baby dolls. Goth Barbie. She was very, yeah. you know. And they're probably cursed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's in this dream. It's this little black baby doll and she turns it around and looks at it and it's got a little, ooh, circular oh face like baby dolls do but then when she woke up she woke up kind of gasping for air and is kind of waking herself up and then realizes that she sees something in her bed and i'm gonna read a little little quote just to describe it for y'all quote i'm not sure what it was that woke me up but suddenly i bolted straight up in my bed oh man what a weird dream why in the world was i sleeping with that strange baby doll I was never the type of girl who played with dolls, as you may have gathered. As I cleared my eyes, I looked over in the glow of the green light. I saw something next to me. It was the shape and size of the doll, but it was the least innocent thing I'd seen in my life. Instead, it was this creature. 
a baby creature, but with sharp, exposed teeth. It was grimacing at me. The sweet blonde doll of my dreams had morphed into something heinous. She explains that this is the first time that she kind of willed something away. And that was the end of the quote, sorry. But willed it away. She saw this in her bed and she was like, oh my God, you're not there. You're not there. You know, as you do as a kid. Yeah. And when she looked again, it was gone. And she was like, oh, maybe I can do that. Which she really could, like sometimes she could, but other times there's not ways to always block this out. As she finds out later in life, it becomes something she can't hold back. It's probably also like when you're young, you're just figuring that out. So like, and the spirits are probably just figuring that out, like Mm -hmm. how far they can push her. And Uh as she gets older, her brain starts to develop more. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, I can't. Yeah. I can't block them. And the entities you find out are more attracted to people like her, yes. more highly sensitive people, like people who have any type of like mediumship or psychic. They're interested in people that could see them, but they're specifically interested in her because not everybody can see them. Yeah. Um, you know, there's mediums out there that can see passed on loved ones and stuff and things like that, sometimes can see higher entities. But yeah, she's there's not many people that can, you know, see these things. She also explains that she doesn't really give a shit if somebody believes her she's not charging for this yeah so she's not getting anything out of it this is her life's work just to help people yeah so just to put that clear because a lot of people are like oh you're a hope you're a hoax and stuff it's like yeah but she's not it's not like these gurus out here that are charging thousands and thousands of dollars to be like oh i'm healing you and they're just she's not a cult leader yeah (laughs) she's not a cult leader she's not she's non-denominational for a reason she works with all types of archetypes so she had that terrible experience in her bed and she did kind of learn a little bit easier how to block them out but never fully as a child she would see attachments to onto people she knew friends in the playground kids in school and she knew that they weren't good but she was a kid and didn't really know what to do about it Mm. and because of this it ended up leading her into a lot of relationships in her youth that were really toxic for her because she wanted to save and help people (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as a lot of healers do you just want to help people and she said that now she recalls seeing things that are called wraiths on children on the playground that at the time she didn't know what they were but now she does and she just feels really horrible for these children because trigger warning wraiths Mm. are always connected to some sort of sexual abuse or sexual dysfunction. Okay, I do remember that. Yeah, and we'll learn more about rates later on. Rachel had a really bad relationship with her mother. Her mother was horrible to her most of her life, describes her as a malignant narcissist. Her mother's name was Rosemary. Oh my God. So Rosemary was married to Rachel's stepdad, who, although Rachel loved him and he was super good to her, he really enabled her mother's abuse. He never really stepped in her or anything. She was very emotionally abusive. There wasn't anything specified in there that said she, like, beat her up or anything. She was a mentally ill woman who had a daughter, and she threw tantrums and, you know, was just not somebody that... She was a malignant narcissist. Yeah. Her mother was the type of person who would try to pick fights with you, but if she didn't get a reaction out of you, that would piss her off, too. 
And then yep. if you got, if you had a reaction, that would make her mad. It was yep. always, you know, she was the victim. She had actually suffered a really horrible, tragic life, too. And Rachel recognized that as she got older. Yeah. Usually when people are mean, they're not healed from past trauma. Yeah. They just take it out on other people. Yeah. As a child, she didn't recognize it fully, but now realizes that her mother actually had a wraith on her and was actually in need of mothering herself. And Uh. she passed away kind of like real tragically with stomach cancer just a few weeks after her diagnosis. Rachel didn't attend her funeral at the time they weren't talking. She says about the death of her mother, quote, her death felt like a hollow self-loathing in my gut that would take years of emotional work to fill. She also describes in the book that Although she sees entity, she sometimes can see passed on people. And she actually did have kind of this experience with her mother after her death. And I didn't write a whole lot of it out here because honestly, I urge everybody to read the book. Yeah. But she had an experience where her mother was visiting her after her death and was visiting her in her dreams and like in spirit. And they actually were able to kind of work through some of their issues after her death, which was really interesting to read about. Yeah. But she said that her mother was kind of having a hard time fully passing on because she died so suddenly and never had had the uh, chance to fix anything. And she thinks she had like a lot of unfinished business and feelings about it. Rachel discusses, and I, I I believe this too, we hold so much of our trauma in our guts and yes. stuff. I was and, thinking the same thing. Yeah, so she really cancer. thinks that a lot of it had to do with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her stepdad died when Rachel was 16, before her mother's death, obviously. And her mother leaned on her way too much, mm. more than a parent should. Rachel was more parentified at that time. Her mother was making her stay up all night because she couldn't sleep, even if she had school. But then she would be extremely unsupportive to Rachel. She recalls that when she was seven and tried to confide in her mom about seeing the entity, her mother called her a liar. Like, that's just the type of person she was. Yeah. They just didn't. Yeah. That was a little out of order, but. No, I get. Yeah. I'm going to, like, encourage that. When Alessia starts talking about her past lives, she gets a little older and she can speak full sentences or she sees something. I'm going to be like, what do you see? Tell me all about it. Yeah. Because they forget that stuff. Yeah. A lot of times when kids can sense things, they for they after they're a you know, they start going to school and they have other influence, that kind of goes away. You're Yeah. Or the parents are like, No, shut up, you're lying. Or like it's, it's an true. imaginary friend, da da yeah. Or just what is it? You're not as close to spirit. Yeah. The older you get. You just kinda get closed off too. Or kids are afraid of it and they shut yeah. it off. However, although she kind of had this really bad relationship with her mother, she had a really wonderful relationship with her grandmother. Oh, that's good. Yeah, which is really sweet. It sounds like her mother or her grandmother genuinely paid attention to her, genuinely spent time with her and wanted to know how her days were when they would visit. Although she was this really caring, loving person, she really enabled her mom. Uh, you know, just kind of didn't push back and kind of as that that goes. Okay. 
Rachel, although she was very close with her grandmother, she never shared with her anything about seeing the entities because she had such a horrible experience with her mom. She just, when she would say stuff to other kids, they'd be like, what are you talking about, you weirdo? Shit like that. Mm -hmm. So she never got a chance to ask her grandmother if she had that gift. And she knows, obviously, her mother didn't have the gift because... She told her she was lying and, you know, denied it and stuff. So she's not sure exactly if it's something that people in her family have always been able to do or anything like that. Yeah. So when her grandmother died in her 20s, she wasn't able to ask. Was it, it was her grandmother on her mom's side? Yes. And we don't know anything about her actual dad, just a stepfather? Correct. Okay. So the gift could have been from the other side mm-hmm. her family too yes that could very well be true my tea is really good and i just want to chug it now she was hopelessly compassionate and always trying to help people <laughs> she had a particular friendship where she was trying to help a friend when she was in middle school and all of a sudden the friend kind of just withdrew from her and kind of blew her off and didn't want to be her friend anymore and Aww. rachel was kind of fed up with trying to help kids so she kind of became the loner goth girl for a while and as one does yeah and everybody thought she was a weirdo and whatever she was a loner until high school because it was the 1990s and all of a sudden it was cool to be alternative and that's her words not mine (laughs) just says that in the book so she found a group of misfits and was hanging out with you know all the other goth kids found camaraderie finally they still didn't share with anybody about what she could see and that would be the time to do so because those kids are probably like, I like this shit. I'm yeah, probably. Shit. <laughs> yeah. She eventually found that she had a crush on one of these boys in the group. Although. Did he have like long black hair? With she a didn't lip describe ring? it, but probably. If he was a goth kid, he was probably. That was my jam in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta love a boy with long hair. So this guy, he was the troubled boy, as as it goes. Of course, yeah. They they never dated. She always wanted more. They had that type of like weird toxic friendship that, although they were never together, if he dated somebody, she would get really jealous. If she started dating somebody in retaliation to him dating somebody, he'd get really oh, jealous. Yeah. It was like that weird toxicity. Eventually, she did have to cut ties with him because it was horribly toxic. She said he had entities on him. She kind of knew that he wasn't going to have an easy life. Several years later, he called her when he was out of rehab and was like, you know, just telling her how he had been struggling with addiction and all this stuff. She was just kind of like, yeah, didn't say it to him, but she had always kind of known that that's how his life was going to be because he had entities attached to him that were just feeding off of him so oh my god i thought you were gonna end that with something else oh no (laughs) i was like my i don't know if you saw my face but i was like oh no no he was fine he just yeah i mean she didn't say where he is now but at the time he was kind of like that also she grew up in florida with her mom and eventually she was like i need to get the fuck out of florida As you should. Of course. No, I'm just kidding. No, As you should. <laughs> and she moved to Denver for a little while, and that's where she started writing under the name R.H. Davis. Writing was always her dream because it helped her escape reality as well as create new ones. Soon, she was able to break into the male-dominated industry of gaming, and that's when she wrote the backstory for Laura Croft. She that's also awesome. How old was she? 
the time 1990s, probably in her early 20s, okay. because in this book, she was in her mid 30s. So she's, okay. you know, I That's think awesome. she's probably like 39 or 40 now. Not that to not to out her age, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. She broke into that. And then she was also writing for comics and developing scripts for film. Her first novel was called Daniel's Vale. I didn't write anything else about that, apparently, but that was her first novel that she published. I think it was in 2005. While living in Denver, she made friends and married a man that she thought was everything she ever needed. She was just like, oh, this is my life. And she thought it was, you know, that's kind of where it was going to end because she also just loved the Rockies in Denver. She thought it was beautiful. But eventually she realized that the marriage was more superficial rather than actual true love and it ended in doing that huh good for her for realizing bravo to divorce well i'm just (laughs) i just meant because you know if you like things feel the love like yeah good for her for not trying to stick on to it yeah would you know it's not working yeah yeah people change people have differences whatever let it go, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> we say anyway a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways and so's and ums and likes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're not professional public speakers. That's why it's a podcast. I'm very bad with public speaking. <laughs> you're, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Just saying. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so she loved the Rockies, but then she realized after this divorce that she had always had an interest in L.A., so she decided to move out to California. L.A. L.A. Want to go get tacos in L.A.? Yeah. L.A. L.A. Okay, so she's living in L.A. Feels more like home there, and she's made a lot of friends. She's friends with all sorts of people. Living with and dating this man named Peter. He's kind of this, like, hippy-dippy guy. He's really into spirituality and stuff. So they're kind of able to talk about it, although she still hasn't fully shared that aspect. You guys can't see it, but Courtney did a little wiggle with that whole hippy-dippy dance. Hippy-dippy. So he talks her into going to, like, an energy healing thing. Okay. And she's like... An ally. Yeah, an ally. (laughs) No offense, no offense. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> it's just, okay. We have those people here, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> I like a good energy healing, but okay. Me too. She's resistant. She's like, I don't know about that. She's not really into the new agey stuff, which I, I can understand. Yeah. Again, goth Barbie, which I can also understand because I have some problems kind of sometimes with the good vibes only type yeah, of mentality yeah. because... That's just denying the darkness of yeah, things. Not yeah. to, like, sit in the darkness. And But anyway, so he talks her into going in this energy healing place. They're going to have, they're going to get to see what Reiki is all about. Rachel was very resistant, but eventually agreed to go. She felt very out of place with all the hippy-dippy people who looked like they had just got back from Burning Man. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable with the concept of Reiki and did not want to really participate in the healing session. But the lady who was doing the session talked her into it 
when she had asked for a volunteer, Peter was like, I'll go because he really wanted a healing session. So he goes up to be the example. And the lady also called Rachel up to participate in the Reiki. Which is weird. They don't usually have somebody. It was like their first time. Like she was going to go up there. and Yeah, I thought that was weird too. I mean, Reiki's weird. I, I don't yeah. I don't know about the, the way like Western people have appropriated it, but that's a story for a different day. Yeah. Rachel goes up there and she's guided by the woman who's doing the session to have her hold her hands over Peter's core. She does so and she puts it over the core. As she looks down at him, she realizes that she can see something inside of him, that there is an entity in his core. She can see it actively attached to him and feeding off of him. And she flips out, gets really scared and immediately like kind of runs out of the room and goes outside to get fresh air and is just kind of out there like grounding herself, trying to gather what she had seen. She's like, oh, my God, because she doesn't try to see them. Yeah. A little while later, Peter finds her outside and he's like, what the hell? What happened? She had never told him about seeing entities before, but after this, she finally did. He was actually willing to listen, and she was really surprised when he didn't scoff and run away from her, as people usually would. This was also the first time after seeing this that it clicked in her head that these entities actually attach to and feed off of people. Yeah. She never had realized it before that moment. So Peter ended up being the first person she ever gave an exorcism to. She had no idea what to do because it was her first time. Yeah. A lot of people, when they think of exorcisms, you also think of that traditional Catholic exorcism. Yeah. Power of Christ compels you. Yes. And the thing about the Catholic Church is they have really specific guidelines when it comes to exorcisms Mm -hmm. and states that possessions are actually extremely rare. Many people who end up seeking out help from the Catholic Church are usually turned away Mm -hmm. and kind of accused of being liars or telling them there's something else wrong with them. Sometimes they'll do a prayer and a blessing for them, but otherwise doesn't bother with any type of exorcism. Yeah. But really, a lot of people would benefit from an exorcism. (laughs) Rachel performs her exorcisms in what she calls a spirit room. And this room is a very protected and comfortable room that she has a bed, blankets and pillows, pictures of, you know, positive archetypes, specifically placed crystals and all the candles and all the herbs that you need to work through an exorcism. And it's meant to be like a calm and comforting place for a person. Like if you're going to get a massage or something. Yeah. (laughs) I was watching uh, a podcast that she was on earlier today, YouTube Starburns Audio. I've never heard of this podcast, but they had her on about a year ago. And the person hosting actually talked about her own exorcism. And she said that it felt really good and she was really calm. But not all exorcisms are that lovely. Yeah. (laughs) She does this exorcism on Peter because she'd never done it before. She wasn't really sure what to do. She thought that she was going to need as much space as possible. So she stood outside of his house 
and he was inside the house in a bed comfortable so she wasn't in the same room as him that's not how she does exorcisms anymore she that's why she does them in her spirit room yeah it's she has to be there to be able to feel the energy of the person although she was able to successfully get the spirit out of her boyfriend it was was just a lot harder it was a lot harder it was also her first time she wasn't totally able to see it and visualize it as well afterwards he said he felt lighter when they discussed about the entity he asked her what it looked like and she said that it looked like this little ghost with a squealy like mean face on it just kind of like a kid's cartoon drawing. And Peter was really freaked out by this because he said as a child he had created a ghost friend that he used to imagine that would protect him when he was going through something kind of hard and was kind of sad. He would think of his ghost friend. But then it turned into like a tulpa. Yeah, it turned into what she actually refers to as a trickster. Ah. And we'll talk about tricksters a little later. But she did this and then was like, okay, so I did this. I don't know really where what else to do. So she's just kind of trying to go on living her life. Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted to help people, but she didn't really know where to start. And it was afraid to tell people that yeah. that's what she saw. Even though she lives in LA, where people are more likely to be open to that kind of stuff, because yeah. it's LA. And everybody's, you know, woo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no offense to LA. I'm woo too. A little. LA. She's still afraid to share this with people. At about age 30, she had an experience where she was walking down the road in LA, was not able to block the entities anymore. They had all of a sudden gotten louder and more obvious. She saw a homeless man just screaming at an entity on the street. He was actually interacting with this thing. It was becoming really scary for her to a point where it was going on for days and she didn't know what to do. One night, she finally decided to tell a friend. Be like, this is what's happening. I think I'm crazy, blah, blah, blah. Luckily, her friends weren't like, yo, you gotta be committed. They were like, can't really help you. You should talk to Durek, which is a shaman friend of hers. Ah, but she was resistant. A cock shaman? <laughs> Space cowboy cock shaman. Oh, hey, Mike P, if you're listening. Hey. All right, sorry, sorry, guys. Inside joke and you're on the outside. This started to become overwhelming. You know, everybody's like, talk to Durek, talk to Durek. She's resistant. But eventually she decides she has to do something. These entities are bombarding her. I'm just going to quote, just to describe to you or what describe to you what the hell was happening. I'm going to let her put it in her own words. Oh, out of nowhere, entities swarmed toward me and crowded around me. Remember that scene in The Birds when Tippi Hedren and Rod Taylor tear down a rural road swarmed by thousands of crows? That's how I felt at my dinner table, only worse. Entities were everywhere, in all sizes and all colors, banging on my limbs, whispering in my ears, pushing into my chest, and reaching their tentacles toward my eyeballs. Jesus. Yeah. Some swirled around my head, around and around and around till I was dizzy and had to look away. One crawled out of the refrigerator, hissed at me, and then shut the door behind it as it zipped into the air. I was too paralyzed to say anything to Durek. I silently begged for the entities to go away, but I couldn't stop them from coming in. And this went on for three days, which sounds horrible. So this is before she met 
Derek. No, she knew him, but she just was like kind of not wanting to face it. It was okay. happening. She yeah. was just like trying to will it away, hoping it would end. And yeah. it just wasn't. So finally she goes to Derek, tells him what's going on. He was like, I can't take your gift away. The only thing you can do is use it. Rachel was like, how? <laughs> yeah, but like, how do you block it to like do your normal life while you're not actively doing exorcisms? Like, that's scary. I guess it's just at this point, when I was watching the one thing that she's on, she said it's accepting it in and just accepting that it's there. So it's just something that she sees. And I think it's also they're not always insanely obvious. Yeah. Sometimes she'll just see a dark cloud. It's when you look closer, she can see the form of what it actually is. Okay. But at this point, there was no way to close it because they were just overpowering her. Yeah. Dirk told her she had to use it. She sat down one day, decided to have a conversation with Spirit. She said that she's always had a strong connection to Spirit. As long as she's seen these dark entities, she's also talked to Spirit. And Spirit talks back to her. She has a really strong connection with it. And she can tell the difference between the light and the dark. So she knows this isn't an entity tricking on her. She's speaking to Spirit. One day she sits down with a glass of bourbon and asks Spirit what she's supposed to do. Spirit answered back, quote, You're either going to lose your mind completely in a matter of days, or you use your skill to help many people. She opted not to go to the psych ward and went to the latter choice and well, decided she choice, had to help people. <laughs> At first, she started it kind of messy, but has since gone into her groove. Her first exorcism was that one with Peter, yeah. but now she's doing them in the spirit room. You always throw out your first pancake. Yeah, exactly. She says that most exorcisms take a half hour to an hour at this point, unless it's something that's really bad. Most people aren't going to be having these really horrible attachments, but there is people that do, and we're going to talk about those. So an entity is going to attach to you because of a trauma, usually, or to a place because of a trauma. Horrible event that's happened to there, such as a murder or a mass death of some kind. Or years and years and years and years of these types of things happening in the same spot. And like if also if you're like set into fear in severe depression, they Mm -hmm. can attach to you too. Yeah, yeah. These attachments can start in childhood and grow along with people into adulthood. People can carry around attachments maybe just for a little while, but sometimes they'll have them for decades. And these things are ruining people's lives. She explains she has dealt with children who have had attachments. And to her, these are obviously the most important victims. Mm -hmm. And with children, she always drops everything to help them immediately. It's just something she does. The book opens up with a particular child that's brought to her by her mother, who has a trickster and a Clive attached to her. This little girl is just going through this horrible, horrible time and isn't eating, is covered in marks. They had gone to a Catholic priest and the priest was like, oh, she's lying and turned them away. Yeah, okay. She was luckily able to... How old was she? Was that six or seven? She was 10. Oh. She was able to exercise her and ran into like her aunt a few months later and she's doing much better. Unfortunately, this is something that can happen to children. 
She decides she's got to learn. She starts doing her exorcisms. She also decides to start classifying these entities into groups. So That's that, my favorite part. Yeah. this is So we're going to talk about the different types of entities and a couple exorcisms she does. She has this diamond chart in her book that I will definitely post to the Instagram. And now I don't know what page it's on. It's basically differentiating where the dark entities are as compared to the light entities. Basically, it's just a diamond chart in the middle is humans. Above us is things like spirit guides, animal guides, ancestors, angels, obviously, and those higher beings. Then there's humans and then below humans, then you have all these entities that we're going to learn about today. (laughs) Creepy as fuck. Before we go into this, you can kind of sometimes tell when we talk about frequency and energy in this, we're talking about your vibrational frequency. So if you're operating high vibration, entities are less likely to get attached to you. Mm -hmm. They usually want to feed on negative emotions like sadness and fear and anger, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, like the depression situation. Yes, exactly. Before we get into entities and how they make you feel dark, there is people who are operating in high vibration. So it's kind of like noticing who makes you feel tired and worn out after you've been with them, as well as who makes you feel good and more light after you've hung out with them. Anybody can end up picking up on people's energetic levels and frequencies that we're all kind of in touch to that. But people like empaths or highly sensitive people, social anxiety. And I also said probably those who are neurodivergent or on the spectrum because they also have sensitivities will be extra sensitive to changes in the environment and could pick up on the energies of people and entities and stuff much easier than someone who's not like that. Mm hmm. She runs in a Hollywood crowd. She kind of mentions that there is this one Hollywood hotshot that she often can just feel his energy after he's been in a place because he's, she refers to him as Mr. Sunshine because he's just so high vibration and such like this, I don't know, great person. Anytime she enters a room where he's had a meeting, she'll know that he's been there. She'll find out that he was there and that his energy feels so amazing. She would want to bottle it up. Let's see. I have a little quote about him here. Is it Jerry Padalecki? (laughs) I wondered. He's like an executive though. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder. This man's energy is unmistakable. He's so high frequency that when I come into the space he's just vacated, I feel like he's left a beautiful package energy gift for me right there on the boardroom table. Being in his presence is another matter entirely. It's like breathing clean, pure oxygen or walking into a room at a spa whose air has been infused with Himalayan sea salt. Himalayan salt cleanses and purifies both body and spirit, helping you raise your frequency. I want to do that. Yeah, we should definitely do that. This guy's like, woo. So he sounds lovely. Who I strive to find. (laughs) Who I strive to be and that I will find. Yes. That guy does not have an entity attached to him. But we're going to go into these entities. What they typically look like at first is they're kind of like a gray, black, smoggy, translucent human or animal-like shape. They can be big or small. Some are cute, but most are frightening. She is able to expel some of them almost immediately, while some take hours. 
We'll learn about an exorcism later on that took days. Oh, shit. Yeah. This is just based on what she wrote in this book. So who knows how much she's done since then, too. The way she expels these entities from someone is she will typically start with these really intense blends of herbs that will expel them from there. So things like sulfur, wolfsbane, again, (laughs) powdered vesper. She'll burn that at first and she'll, you know, do her stuff that she does to get to expel the entity. I've actually wrote like some of her high frequency or burnings in my little witchy book and I'll I'll use that recipe in my cauldron a lot. Yeah. I used to. I should do that more. Should get back into it. Yeah, so the high frequency is what you would use after the exorcism. Yes. And then the wolfsbane and the sulfur is during to to get their shit out. She sees entities floating around in public. She sees them uh, actively attaching to people, actively embedding into people. But she can't just walk up to people and be like, yo, you need an exorcism because most people would be like, what the hell? She can also see these entities in photographs of people. Sometimes if somebody's died really tragically, she'll ask somebody to see a picture of them and she'll be able to see the entity attached to the person that led to their death. Most entities don't want to kill you because you're their host and they want to keep you alive so they can keep feeding off you. But there is some that want to destroy everything. (laughs) Sorry, that was really like dun dun dun. (laughs) Okay, so. That's true though. So most don't want to kill you. They just want to keep feeding on you. And people will have physical symptoms related to having these attachments. Headaches, migraines, arthritis, gastrointestinal issues, infertility, joint pain. Joint pain, she says, is literally the most common sign that you have an attachment. And I just like, I read all this and I'm just like, oh, I I actively have a headache. I like, I have gastrointestinal issues. My joints hurt. Like I, (laughs) something's attached to me and I need an exorcism. When I was going through my really depressive episode a couple years ago, I was getting migraines constantly. And they also say that that's like when you're transitioning into a higher frequency that happened. Yeah. You know, but I I believe that. She also wants to explain that they don't necessarily cause these issues, but they will exacerbate them because a lot of these issues are genetic. You know, yeah. they're going to get passed down. We are physical beings. Have we do a, a lot of physical work. Yeah. Like so that. Yeah. we're organic. Things are going to happen to us anyway. Trauma leads to the attachment, any type of trauma in childhood, whether it's, you know, emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual trauma, kids coming out of really fundamentalist church, having really intense spiritual trauma and emotional trauma would be maybe not always abuse but it would be like losing a parent at a really young age or losing your job losing your whole livelihood all of these things unfortunately can lower your vibration Mm -hmm. and an entity could possibly attach to you Rachel says she's the only one that can get rid of your attachments. (laughs) You need an exorcism. Or like if you're strong enough they won't attach to you or something like that. Great. And uh (laughs) These entities that we're going to talk about are most often going to attach at your core. 
They also sometimes like to attach, they, some of them have like tentacles. Wraiths like to attach at the base of your skull. They kind of sit on your back and they have tubes going into your gore and your genitals and things like that. Just really fucking gross. Yeah, they're horrible. We're not going to, we're not going to learn about wraiths just yet. The first thing we're going to learn about is something called a clive. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Remember the clives. Rachel named them clives after Clive Barker, who was a famous novelist and playwright. He wrote Hellraiser and the original Candyman. He was also an artist. She says that she calls them clives because they look like these creatures from these Clive Barker drawings. Oh, shit. Gross. You're gonna post one of those on it. Yes, I'm Instagram. gonna find. Okay, yeah, cool. I'm gonna find the ones that I, I saw that. them share in the one video just to get an idea. Clives are the most common attachment scene. Yeah. She sees them all the time. They're the easiest to expel. They don't put up a fight, but you know they'll take like a half hour to hour just to clear out. It's basically just like pulling them to the surface, pulling them out, and then they just kind of poof disappear the entities are all very anticlimactic once they're expelled it's just kind of like they disappear dissipate but the, some of them put up a horrible fight clives can be attached to people for decades feeding off of them and they amplify a person's negative emotions but did you not create them they're gonna be attached to a specific negative emotion so if you're sad and you kind of sit in that sadness and they attach to you they can turn that sadness into depression if you have a tendency to maybe drink a little too much, a clive can... Which lowers your frequency. Yeah, yeah. It lowers your frequency. Um, a clive could attach to and lead you into alcoholism or another type of an addiction. If you're quick to anger, clives are going to make you have more intense outbursts. Because of this, they feed off this negative energy. They get more full of all this negative energy as you feed it by having these outbursts or sitting in the depression or whatever it is not sitting in the depression because i know that's way loaded to say because yeah we all deal with that clives don't necessarily want to kill you but somebody's dealing with depression sometimes it can lead someone sadly to suicide and it's not always the most common with clives but it can happen it all depends on the person no attachment is the same Rachel, she sees Clive attachments most common in the porn industry. Not to, you know, shame anybody who's doing that type of work, but oftentimes when people get into this industry, their life leading up to that point isn't always the best. And they're often dealing with trauma already before joining into this industry that unfortunately in some ways can be quite violent and negative and have these undertones to them that could also feed these entities that may have attached to you from previous trauma but now are getting more fed because you're taking part in this. Not to include people who go into porn or any type of sex work because they actually enjoy doing it. Some people find power in doing that and that's good for them. But a lot of the time people are struggling when they're in that type of work. This is also people who might watch a lot of porn too. You might not find sexual satisfaction in your real relationships because you're so desensitized by watching porn because these entities can be transmitted through technology. So with like excessive porn addiction, a lot of porn has violent undertones. 
continues to feed on it so you can have all these attachments. She doesn't want to blanket all the people in the porn industry, but because this industry leads people into intimacy very fast and sex is an energetic exchange, Mm -hmm. there is going to be attachments that can happen. (laughs) So sexually transmitted entities. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Those are the easiest and most straightforward types of exorcisms. They don't typically put up much of a fight. Also, someone operating from a place of ego rather than a high-minded state who might sleep around a lot rather than pursue healthy relationships will often be covered in Clive's. This isn't just people in porn. This could just be, you know, fuck boys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She and we do not slut shame. No, we do not, we slut, do shame. not slut shame. If you want to be do, in porn, do go and do a baby. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you want to sleep around and have your like time, just be careful. Maybe bring some saleonite with you so that nothing attaches to you. She told the story of a woman who was struggling with infertility for years. Typically, if a woman is struggling with infertility and doctors can't figure out why they end up coming up with the diagnosis of unspecified infertility. Oftentimes it's because of a spiritual reason and you might actually have an attachment. She did an exorcism for a woman that she saw she had attachments that had burrowed into her ovaries and had destroyed one of her ovaries so much that that one wasn't viable. But she was able to clear the entities out and one of her ovaries was healthy. Rachel also saw a baby spirit that wanted to enter into the woman and, you know, become her child. She did this and she told the woman, I think, I think you'll be able to have a child. I think you'll be okay. Six months later, she's calling her up saying, I'm pregnant. I'm so excited. So she was able to help this woman, whether you believe it or not, but this was somebody who was struggling for with infertility for years and years and years. Doctors could literally do nothing for her. Went to Rachel as a last resort and Rachel was able to help her conceive. Yeah. Beautiful story in a way. The next entity we're going to discuss is one I've mentioned already a couple times. This one's called a wraith. It would be the second most common entity attachment that Rachel sees. As I mentioned earlier, wraiths are attracted to sexual dysfunction, usually stemming from abuse as a child, but also can attach to well into adulthood. This could be from something as straightforward as child abuse or rape, or as complex as someone hiding their sexual orientation or identity for years. Yeah, this, a wraith can also attached you from an addiction to porn. So mm-hmm. that kind of goes hand in hand again. This also goes with the porn industry. And this is not just necessarily somebody watching it. These are people who are spending hours and hours and hours a day in this virtual world and unable to maintain proper sexual relationships with somebody because they're so used to this like hardcore porn that they're watching. Rachel describes wraiths as these really gaunt, skeletal, super, super tall entities that attach to people. They'll 
kind of be sitting on their back and have these like tubes attached to them. They kind of look like the original cover of the very first scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh yeah. So I'm going to put that in the notes and I looked at it today. It's fucking gross. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're really gross. Wraiths actually do present as a specific sex. They'll present as male or female and they always attach to the opposite sex. And this has nothing to do with a person's sexual orientation. It's the wraith that attaches. Yeah. So even if somebody is gay, they're still going to have a wraith attached to them of the opposite sex. Female wraiths will usually not cause men to not really... It's not that they won't have sex. It's just that they'll have a lot of sexual dysfunction and dark sexual urges. Sometimes, like, if a man has a female wraith attached to him, he'll often feel her when he's engaging in sexual acts with women, and he'll feel like a dark cloud. He'll have the urge to be violent, things like that. So it's really dark. These wraiths, they're going to exemplify these, like, bad urges in people. So she explained that, unfortunately, when she would see wraiths attached to one of her friends as a child that her friend now that she knows why race attached to people her friend was experiencing trigger warning molestation and her friend tried to molest her at the time she was just like what the hell but now it's because like these wraiths will like work through people that's a female wraith they're tall and gross and gaunt and she says that they have this like weird cleopatra hairdo (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah Male rates, yeah. <laughs> Male rates, on the other hand, still gross and nasty and tall and gaunt, sunken in eyes, but they're bald and they'll try to like make the cover them- of the. Okay. Yeah, they'll try to make themselves look bigger by wearing these cloaks, but they, you know, whatever. She yeah. says she doesn't really understand why they do that, but I guess spirit are just as weird as, or entities are just as weird as humans. Yeah, you know, just do weird things. <laughs> <laughs> This coat makes me look so much more broader in the shoulders. Yeah, like it makes them look bigger. Wraiths are the ones that are going to cause night terrors and sleep paralysis, kind of like what we discussed about before. So old hag syndrome. Yeah. Those are the things that are causing people to have sleep paralysis that are sitting on their chest. Now, sometimes, even though you've experienced sleep paralysis, that doesn't necessarily mean that a wraith has attached to you. It could have, but that doesn't always mean they have, but it might mean that they're just visiting you, that they're interested in you. We want to try and keep our vibrations high so these things aren't coming and yeah, doing that. And, and causing more pain for other people too. Yeah, yeah. I, we talked about how it affects men, but male wraiths with their nasty bald head, what they'll do is they'll cause women to basically avoid intimacy and relationships altogether. They fear sexual intimacy. They're terrified of sexual encounters or any type of emotional relationships. And these women will, you know, be described as like frigid or whatever. They impede relationships. Wraiths don't want you to experience love. They want you to experience all the negativity that surrounds that. So they want you to have weird sexual dysfunctions. They want you to be alone and and sad and so they can keep feeding off of you. They'll try, they'll do things like keep you from pursuing love. They'll make you think that you're safer without it. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Rachel did an exorcism on a woman named Suzanne. 
Suzanne was a successful real estate agent who unfortunately had a really traumatic childhood. She grew up in foster care and was unfortunately molested in several of the homes. She started having night terrors very early in her life, even as an adult slept with her lights on. She was afraid of any type of relationship with a man, let alone sex. Although she still deeply wanted that. She, yeah. you know, as you do, everybody yeah. wants companionship. Human. It, she just didn't know what to do. And she came to Rachel as a last resort. Suzanne had one of the most malignant wraith attachments that she had ever seen. And the foster care system is awful. Oh like my God. The it's... amount of kids that come out of it having that happen to them. Oh, it's just horrible. Like people. Absolutely horrible. Predators become foster parents. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole nother topic. But <laughs> Again, maybe we, we should start a rant. social like awareness. With, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So during this exorcism, Rachel's burning the herbs I mentioned earlier, powdered Vespa, Wolfsbane, Blue Lotus, sulfur to suffocate the entity out of Suzanne. And Suzanne at first isn't really feeling much, but then this does become like a very intense experience for her. It starts to struggle to breathe for a little bit, is grasping at her throat, but is eventually able to take a deep breath and Rachel is able to expel the entity. But before she was able to, and as she's pulling this thing out of her, she sees this wraith and it's coming out of Suzanne, it's standing t- 12 feet tall over Rachel, it's hissing at her, it's spitting its tentacles at her, and she's just fucking facing it and just like, fuck you, bro, you need to get out. Yeah. And <laughs> fuck right the fuck off. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's able to expel it. And then Suzanne herself, oh, Suzanne was the one for six months. I think the other woman was getting them a little mixed up. That woman was able to get pregnant. Suzanne, six months able later, was in a new relationship and very happy. And he wanted to have kids as much as she did. And it was a beautiful thing. Aww. She was happy. So Yeah, I should probably get an exorcism. Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so um, Attach people with entities. Yeah. Get off me. Get off me. <laughs> get off, get off. Yeah. <laughs> Raids can also, unfortunately, be passed down through lineage. These are much older than the ones that are just attached, like our regular attachment with people. That's why you dress your generational trauma. Yes. Yeah, this is a generational trauma thing because it attaches to Mm -hmm. a a lineage because of something terrible that happened in it. Mm-hmm. So these raids will attach in the womb. These, oh my God. Somebody will be born with this attachment. She does an exorcism on a set of twins in the book. Typically, you wouldn't do an exorcism with... It's usually just her and then the person she's exercising in the room. There's never any third parties there because that would be very dangerous. Yeah. But twins are, they're kind of entwined with each other. Yes, exactly. So these twins, they are film directors and they run under the production company called Twisted Twins. They're in the book and they're willing to share their story because, you know, not everybody wants to share it. She's not going to out people who don't, but Jen and Sylvia very much were helped by her. They had a really crazy experience. They were raised Catholic their names are Jen and Sylvia Saska, and they are identical twins. They are always together. They're people that, you, you, they're the type of twins that are inseparable. 
when Rachel met them, they were interested in what she did and the type of films they do is kind of based on all that. So they're always very interested in all that kind of stuff. They were they met because they were working on a film together, actually. Like supernatural stuff, you mean? Yeah. Okay. They were directing a movie that she had written the screenplay for. And when she met them, they noticed that she kept looking kind of up above their heads. Yeah. And they were both like, oh, my God, what do I have attached to me? We need, we need an exorcism. You need to help us. Please help us. Did they know that she was Yeah, doing like that? she shared with them that because at this point, this is something that she had been mm-hmm. doing for years. And now she was just working on this film. They all clicked really well. They seemed like people that were open to it. So she was like, yo, you, you have an entity attached to you. It's attached to both of you. Because they were so close and identical twins, this wraith had attached to them in the womb and was creating dysfunction throughout their whole lives. Mm -hmm. She did an exorcism on them together. This was the only time she ever did an exorcism on multiple people at the same time. But it just made sense. Because you would have to, yeah. Yeah. There was no way she could exorcise them separate because of the way the attachment was. At the time, they also had Clives attached to them that were creating dysfunction. Wraiths, only one can attach to you at a time. But Clives, you can have tons. She's seen dozens attached to people. Wraiths kind of just want you for themselves, but because Clives will exemplify those negative emotions, they're okay with Clives being attached to you while they're attached to you, too. They'll kind of work together. She does this exorcism on them, and I'm just going to read a little bit out of it. Quote, Sylvia says, it wasn't even a guess. She just flat out told us exactly what it was. Turns out Jennifer and I had a lineage wraith on us because of this nasty family trauma, and we carried it on behalf of everyone we're related to. It explained why suicide and depression runs in our family. Jen says, when I was young, I had an experience with sleep paralysis that was horrible. Most people endure those things at night, but I had one in the middle of the day. I don't even think I was asleep. Just all of a sudden, I couldn't move. I tried to look around, but I couldn't. Something was right over me. When I tried to shift or scream in my head, it I wasn't able to. I felt this pressure of something on top of me. She thought she was getting abducted by aliens, she said. She was just like, what the fuck is going on? Uh. Rachel exercised us both, and it took maybe an hour and a half. When we talked beforehand, Rachel had told us, after you've done this, the way you feel now, you will never feel again. And until she lifted those entities off of us, I didn't even realize what she meant. I had two entities, a Clive connected to my stomach and the Wraith connected to my head. It explained so much ever since I was a little girl. After that, she didn't experience any type of visual auras like migraines that she used to suffer from. She used to get temporary blindness that never happened again. Sylvia, that was Jen, said that that was the one attached to her. And then Sylvia had one on her throat. That was the Clive. And she said she had always felt kind of muted and she could never really speak up. And then after the Clive was removed, she felt like she finally had her voice. Oh. And she's still friends with the Saskas. <laughs> They're That's happy awesome. to sell around. We're yeah. successful exorcisms. So, yeah. yeah. Luckily, all the exorcisms are successful in this story. Moving on to the next entity, this one is called a trickster. Most tricksters, when you think of a trickster, we talked about that. We're talking about Loki, sometimes old folklore interpretations of the devil. Rachel considers a trickster a different thing. So this isn't the same as that. This is what she considers a trickster. I guess they could 
be kind of the same if you think about it. So the way tricksters work is exactly how they sound. They play tricks on you. They are much smarter than Wraiths and Clives. They're much higher on the entity food chain. When they attach, they're different from Clives and Wraiths. They make the person feel safe and comfortable and that they're adding to the person's life and, Mm. you know, keeping them safe, bringing good for them, that this is a positive thing that this this, uh, trickster is here. But really, tricksters are vampires. They're alluring, sexy like vampires. You want to go to that vampire club in that movie down to the scary place and (laughs) make friends with all the cool vampires, but then it turns out you're just dinner. And that's what a trickster is. (laughs) Yes. Tricksters want a positive symbiotic relationship with their host. They may appear to a child as an imaginary friend and will remain with people until adulthood. You may think adults don't have imaginary friends. It's much more common than you think. And people will talk to them, picture them in their head, and think that they're a guide when oftentimes they're not. They're a trickster that's fucking up their life. Oh, fuck. It's really sinister because when they attach to kids, her boyfriend Peter, who she did the exorcism on, the ghost thing, that was a trickster because it was this thing that he had created to protect him. Yeah. And he thought it was helping him, but really it was feeding off of him. Yeah. So they, is this the type of entity that you said that also can like come apart as ancestors, come to you as like people you've lost or something? Yes. Yes. So (laughs) they might take the image of your grandmother. If you were really close to your grandmother and you're a little kid and grandma dies, It could be like, oh, I'm grandma visiting you. And it's your, oh, this is just my imaginary friend. Or they're like, oh, she's seeing grandma. But really, it's a fucking trickster. Great. Yeah, it's it's really nefarious. I just keep thinking about Mike. I talk about him. I talk to him all the time. Yeah, but the, does like, he yo. do? Does he wreak havoc in your life? Do you no. feel like he does? Ba- yeah. No, so he like, he's, he's always like, he's probably just visiting you. Yeah, I feel like sometimes when, especially with my car, he watches out for my car because he knows okay, I like to get in accidents. <laughs> yeah, and this one hasn't been stolen yet either. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> tricksters will grow along with someone, just like rates. These are the only ones that seem to age. So wraiths and tricksters will age along with the hosts that they're attached to. Tricksters that appear to adults can take the image of perceived positive archetypes like angels, genies, fortune tellers, important people from your life. And unlike wraiths and clives, people can often see their trickster spirits and have a symbiotic relationship with them, like I said. It reminds me of like the, what people do, crazy shit. God told me to do it. Da, oh, yeah. Da. That's yeah. probably a trickster. Weird stuff. I agree. that That's kind of what we'll get into. To Rachel, though, she doesn't see the tricksters as the the cute little genie or the beautiful angel. She'll see them as these weird, continuously morphing images. She describes it to that famous painting, The Scream, by Edvard Munch. That oh yeah, thing. yeah. Um, but flashing. Yeah, like I kind of think you can like see through it. Yeah, yeah. He's a, I know we're, we're still in the writer's strike, so I don't want to go too much into it, but Supernatural. There is a monster in that that does that. Yeah. Like, they'll come off as a dead parent, but, like, when you see them in the mirror, their face is all, like, yeah. coming apart and yeah. screaming. So the writers are fine, but it's the it's actors. The actors. 
But I don't know, because Supernatural isn't even in production anymore, so I don't know if that even yeah. matters. Anyway. I mean, but Supernatural, then and now, the podcast, love you guys, shout out. <laughs> they actually have stopped doing their podcast because they're re-watching, so. It's like, okay, so yeah. yeah it's they put little... it on hold, so I don't know. But it's it with this kind of stuff, I always go back to that show because they have so much in there that like is relevant. It makes me think of in the Harry Potter series, I prefer the way they touch on this creature in the books. Okay. The Bogart that is in the cupboard. And yes. it change it, it changes based on your fear. Yes. So it kind of reminds me of that. But with this, it changes based on what you'll be like, oh, this will help me. Yes. Whereas... Rachel's seeing it in his true form, yes. which is, you know, the evil, like, bleh, thing. <laughs> and these tricksters can attach to children very easily because of childhood trauma, but they don't attach because of sexual trauma. They'll attach because of any other type of trauma. So mm-hmm. the loss of a parent, a horrible event, some type of violence, abuse in the home, just that's not sexual, but like physical, that they're yeah. witnessing, that they're experiencing unfortunately because young children want to find hope in anything and want to receive love from anybody like they'll attach to these things because this is the only thing that's protecting them yeah it's really fucking sad Mm -hmm. so they won't initially cause harm because they want want a positive symbiotic relationship but these are more extreme these will lead people who are experiencing addiction, will more likely overdose, will more likely go to suicide. There's ancient tricksters, which have been around for thousands of years. She encountered one that took the form of Baphomet. It was attached to all the members of a heavy metal band. Because, yeah. (laughs) So these guys... That's super metal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, of course. So all these guys were... They loved the image of Baphomet. They found comfort in it. When they would perform, they'd think about Baphomet and be like, yeah. And they'd play all their music. Oh, so that's like another type of tulpa thing. Yeah, sort of. Bringing it to life. Yeah. They're all playing for Baphomet. They're making their music or they're performing for it. They're kind of getting inspiration from it. All the stuff, but then all of a sudden, none of them are capable of creating anything. They're all having horrible things happen in their lives. They're struggling really hard. They eventually were able to get in contact with Rachel, although they all had their own individual attachment of this Baphomet creature or trickster. It was weird because it was kind of the same, too, because they were all attached to the same thing. I really want to know what this band is now. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so, Metallica. <laughs> right? <laughs> when she was fighting this trickster off of them, it took on the image of an old, frail mummy. It was dark and cunning and wise, and its energy was colossal, like a nuclear weapon. After she was able to expel it from all the members of the band, and she did do theirs all separately, there was one member who was particularly bad, and it took like three hours. She felt like she had the flu for days afterwards, and so did all the clients. But eventually, they were all able to recuperate and make music again. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, because trickster relationships are symbiotic and people can confuse them as something positive they have a hard time letting go of them. yeah they'll have a real hard time letting go because they're like no this thing is helping me she said that she confronted a psychic once because the psychic was like oh i work with the archangel michael and 
Rachel, seeing this entity for what it really was, a trickster, tried to tell this woman, that's not Archangel Michael. That's a fucking trickster. This psychic did not take this well. She basically told Rachel to fuck off to this day. Walks around with that trickster. Oh, shit. Just... And using it in all of her stuff. So she's calling this fucking trickster in to probably psychic readings that she does for people. Oh my god. Isn't that fucked up? Like she's afraid it's going to ruin her business. Yeah. But it's then you're subjecting your clients to it. Yeah. These people who have these trickster entities are like, well, what am I without this being? Because again, they're like, this thing protects me. Tricksters are some of the first ones that start to fight back during exorcisms, unlike Wraiths and Clives that Wraiths kind of are like, but they don't do anything. And Clives just kind of, they go away. Um, Tricksters are the first ones that are going to fight back. And it's most often that they're going to be verbal. They'll start fucking talking shit and whatever through the person. And that, um, yeah, that typical exorcism type thing that'll happen with them. I just keep thinking Clives as like little cheesy poofs when you said the and they yeah. just like go into little like cheese like uh, remnants across yeah. the room. Just like weird little angry cloud things like uh. <laughs> She says sometimes they will get physical and lash out, throw things through the person. It's about 10% of the exorcism she does are trickster spirits. Luckily, she's not seeing them as much. Most often she's seeing Clives and then Wraiths. Those are the three or the few, I think it was just three, but those are the three ones that are going to attach to people specifically. Those are the ones she's able to expel you know, a little bit easier to expel. And then we're going to talk about some other entities that some you can't get rid of They're because of the way they are. And then others that not only will attach to people, but will attach to places. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite spooky places. Oh my God. So fucking scary. The first one we're going to talk about, this is the first one that doesn't necessarily attach to people in like remain. The Sandman is an entity that is pretty much always moving. It's not going to stay somewhere very long. It might stay for a couple nights or just one night, but it leaves. Sandman moves around at night only. It will attach to entire neighborhoods, entire buildings, apartment complexes, or even entire small towns. And what he does is he's this weird ass, the way she describes it actually reminds me of the hat man that you hear about in sleep paralysis. So he's got this big fucking Quaker hat. She says he's a creepy version of the Quaker Oats guy. He comes along to these towns and he has this web that he just spreads across the whole town. Yeah. What he does is he, these webs will attach to the heads of its victims. He comes when the sun goes down and he plagues. And that's when he sends Freddy in to yeah. do his bidding. <laughs> yeah. He, um, yeah. He'll, when he does this, everybody who's under his web is plagued by horrible nightmares. He draws energy from those nightmares and feeds off of it. Because he's a wandering entity and doesn't stay anywhere for very long, Rachel doesn't really have the methodology to exercise him. Yeah. It's kind of like he comes and does what he does and then he leaves. So there's not really anything you can do. She's had some really complex interactions with the Sandman, though. She's actually faced him face to face, which isn't something the Sandman would do with a typical human. He's kind of living his life over here, spreading his web, sucking up his energy and going off. 
off. In the book, she describes a night where she wakes up from a particularly horrific dream where in the dream she's pregnant and unfortunately loses the child. Oh my God. Yeah, it's trigger warning. Sorry, guys. She loses the child and in the same dream, her home burns down. It's just horrible. She wakes up in a cold sweat, is kind of like obviously grateful that it wasn't real, but she's just like, damn, I feel horrible. She had hardly slept. And she gets up and goes to the bathroom. And as she's walking, she sees out of the corner of her eye something shiny. And she sees this sticky spider web coming out of her living room. She goes to her living room door, sitting there on the chair in the living room was the Sandman, just staring at her face to face. Just chilling. Gonna make myself a sandwich. Yeah. She couldn't do anything. He had already fed off of her. Yeah. And he was just being a smug fuck sitting there and being like, look what I did. Then he kind of disappeared and she had her night. She went to bed or whatever. Drank her <laughs> last glass of orange juice. Yeah. Just, so yeah, he's, that's what the Sandman does. So if you have a night where, you know, you're having fucking particularly horrible dreams and it might be the Sandman visiting you. Before we go into the really dark entities, we're going to talk about some neutral entities that Rachel says she sees just kind of floating around in the world. She doesn't feel like they actually do anything. She hasn't figured out what they do, but they don't attach to people. One of these entities she calls the poof. That's literally all it is. A little poof cloud that does nothing but float around, popping in and out of places. It doesn't attach to anybody. She sees them about once a month. That's all they do. They don't do anything? Not that she's figured out. Oh, okay. There is this thing, what she calls a crystal dragon. It's just this line of what looks like crystals that floats around in the air doing like little S-curves. There's no head or tail to it. It's just these crystals, but she calls it a crystal dragon because of the way it moves. As far as she knows, those don't do anything either. They don't feel any type of way when they're around. Neither does the poof cloud. So she's just like, they're neutral. Weird. Yeah. And the other one, which she refers to as a Furby, (laughs) she says... Oh, yeah, the Furby. Yeah, she says it's probably the cutest entity ever, but it does have a negative frequency. Whenever she encounters them, they just make her feel really nauseous, just kind of sick to her stomach. But otherwise, they don't attach to people, and she doesn't really witness them harming people, and they kind of just pass through. She doesn't know what they do. They're neutral. They look like a Furby. They look like a weird, fluffy Furby thing. (laughs) We're going to talk about some darker spirits. The next one is the collector. This is an entity that attaches to places that are sources of negative energy. Typically a place that has had some sort of horrible event happen to it, a mass death, a murder, even horrible suicides. The Cecile! Actually, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what we talk about next. Okay, so. sorry. So we'll talk about... um, (laughs) No, it's okay. So she says that collectors, because the next one can also attach to people, collectors attach to spaces. They're going to attach to homes, hospitals, things like that. Something that Rachel recently did was a special called Celebrity Exorcism. And it's on Tubi. And I got to watch it today. And so I have a little bit of notes about this. And she actually exercised a collector from the murder house from American Horror Story. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was called Revenshine Mansion. Oh, my God. I forgot the name of the mansion. It's a famous mansion. It's where American Horror Story murder house was filmed. And it actually is a really haunted place. Well, not anymore because she exercised it in this episode of Celebrity Exorcist. 
basically these things hey, well, what's the, the murder house okay yeah she atta- she says they attach to large buildings because they have more options of feeding off the energy of more people if they're attached to these larger buildings because they attach to these buildings collectors are massive as they ingest more souls they will get bigger and bigger and bigger and you can what they look like what i think the way she describes them reminds me of the way no face grows in spirited away he gets huge and as he ingests more people but you can see everything that he's ingested floating inside of him he's this big black mass and that's what collectors are like the uh rosenham mansion yes rosenham mansion she exercised that mansion on the show so check out the show that's pretty cool A couple places that she also names that she says collectors are attached to would be the Winchester Mystery House because there's been so many deaths connected to that place, just building it and just weird vibes there anyway. Mm -hmm. Great tour to go through if you ever get the chance in San Jose. Yes. She says that has an entity attached to it that is a collector is Spawn Ranch, where the Manson family lived. Ah. She said that that was likely there before the Manson family even moved in. Yeah. But that it fed off of their energy as it did. Vice versa, probably. Yeah. Craziness. I remember in the book, she does an exorcism on what is a movie set, but what use is, so now is used as a movie set, but used to be a slaughterhouse and also used to be where mafia, mob people people would bring people to kill. Lots of sadness there. She describes going through there and not only exercising these victims of the mob, but also exercising cows that are trapped there. Cow spirit that were killed in the slaughterhouse and like didn't know why, which is so fucking sad. So, Laura, friend of the pod, you can talk about that next time someone makes fun of your veganism. Yeah. Because, yeah. Hi, Lou. You want to hang out? Okay. She explains that for every 10 wraiths she sees, she'll see one collector. So they're not very common. In the book, she mentions that she's done three collector exorcisms, but as I mentioned, she's done it on that murder house so she's done more since then yeah one in a house that had multiple murders in it one on a bank building that had a deadly fire as well as that movie set that i just talked about collectors hold souls at the location they don't necessarily repel people from coming to the building or wherever they are people will feel maybe a negativity while they're there but it's not going to repel people because it wants people to come Collectors will also push people to do things they wouldn't normally do, such as murder. It's really Manson family. Yeah, so really scary stuff. The next entity that Rachel comes across is what she refers to as a realm walker. That is what is at the Cecil Hotel. (laughs) And I think she said in the book, also attached to one of our current presidents. Well, our current president, but not our current president now. Yeah. What she said in the book was that she saw a realm walker during the 2016 presidential election. She didn't name names. I think uh, rhy- <laughs> rhymes with dump. <laughs> rhymes with dump. The yeah. he who must not be named. Yeah. Ass hat orange Cheeto face. But I think he left that realm walker at the White House because I'm not fucking happy with 
what's happening. No, me neither. So I think that thing is sitting pretty on the White House now. That's just me, though. Yeah. Because Donald, Tr- like, Donald Trump's kind of doesn't have as much power anymore. Yeah. So I think gonna, that thing took gonna, a post there. Yep. It's going to stick where it has power. And what's more powerful than God our fucking... Bless America. Oh, my God. So the Realm Walker, <laughs> Rachel, describes is what most people would consider the devil or Satan. But she doesn't call it that because she's never seen the devil or Satan, but she's seen realm walkers. I'm going to read you a little quote. And like we talked about in your other episode, the devil could be, or was it my episode, the devil could be a trickster. So maybe she has seen it. Yeah. All right. I have a little quote here regarding realm walkers. Fortunately, they're the entity she sees least frequently, but has seen them. Quote, when you're faced with a realm walker, you might as well be dealing with the devil himself. In fact, when people attribute large negative events to Satan, chances are realm walkers are the cause. Practicing Christians describe Satan as the single most powerful force of evil in the world, but I see many devils in the world, and I know them all as realm walkers. She was able to see these from a very early age. At about 11, she learned what the realm walker was. Basically, Spirit first sent her, first started showing her what a realm walker was in her dreams. So in her dreams, she would be plagued by it, and she would also see it in her wake. It was like just flashing with her. Quote, what I'd see in front of me was a giant looming blackness, an all-encompassing evil, the likes of which I didn't know even existed. She would obviously be terrified. She's an 11-year-old girl and she's getting these messages, learning about this, and she's worried. What if it kills me? What if it causes the end of the world? Unfortunately, these things can do both of those things. (laughs) This is the most common thing of what you would consider a demon in all of the exorcism movies. These are the ones that are breaking bones and breaking gas lines. They're throwing furniture. They can descend upon an entire building and affect everybody within it. And they can make people kill each other. They can enact global change through the people that they are attached to or through the people in the building they are attached to. Hitler had a realm walker attached to him, and she thinks Charles Manson did too. So, And now it's stuck on a White House. Yep. <laughs> now it's stuck in the White House. When these things are attached to a building, they're larger than the building they are attached to. When they are attached to a person, they're much larger than the person that they are attached to. But maybe not as big as they would be for the building. But they are always this looming presence. And when she sees them, she calls them just a black hole of evil. She often has to throw up after being in the presence of one. It makes her that sick. The way she describes them is they are always a male figure and they're unbelievably muscular. They're a giant. They're ugly. They have a crown of wood. If they have a beard, it's also made of wood. They don't always have beards, though. Wow. Yeah. She's only seen them a handful of times. A person with one possessing them. And this is the only time she refers to it as a possession. Any other time she considers it an attachment. But realm walkers, she does consider it a possession because of the way they work through people. Mm -hmm. And because it's a fucking horrible demonic presence. These things also, they wear cloaks. 
but they also have a symbiotic relationship with their hosts. So they're similar to tricksters in that if somebody has one attached to them, they think that that's where they get their power. And that makes sense if they're like trying to, if it can affect a whole global thing, they want to be able to come off good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want people, you know, keep them there. Excuse me, I'm burping again. The same with the trickster. The person who has a realm walker attached to them has to want to get rid of it. These things, if the person really has, the person has to really want it. Otherwise, the exorcism isn't going to work forever. They can have it be, get attached to them again. Or if they think that it was helping them, it could just reattach to them. Or a new one could, not the same one. Because technically, when she expels them, she's expelling them from existence, too. So oh, they're okay. being completely, you know. She's doing these type of exorcisms, especially with a collector. I didn't mention this with the collector, but with a collector and a realm walker, if they're attached to a building, you have to literally open every single window, every single door, every single drawer, every single cupboard, oh, wow. every single nook so and cranny. So they can't hide anywhere. Yeah, because otherwise it could, it could hide somewhere. She, you know, so everything has to be opened. And they did this on Celebrity Exorcism, although she, there was just a collector in that house. There wasn't a realm walker. So was she able to get to the Cecilia Hotel? No, she hasn't been there yet. So okay. in like she says in the book that she wants to exercise the Cecil Hotel. When I watched Celebrity Exorcist, which aired in 2021, so just a couple years ago, from the conversation that she had with the people who appeared on it with her, she hasn't been there yet. Yeah. Because she says that it has a realm walker attached to it, but mm -hmm. she doesn't call it a realm walker she just mentions that that's like the darkest thing attached to it no stone can be left unturned during these exorcisms she has not been able to exercise the cecil hotel unfortunately but as some of you may know the cecil hotel is famous for the unfortunate untimely death of elisa lamb she was found in the water tank of the hotel and her death was very mysterious if you want to learn a little bit more about that i just say go to google because that's a really crazy story but we're not talking about elisa lamb today uh, i do want to put the, the cecil hotel on the list yeah the whole thing is I mean, just a, a building it's technically <laughs> a, a, a girl yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, um, yeah, so rest in peace to Elisa Lamb, and hopefully you will find justice. Her death hasn't really been solved, and the Cecil's real secretive about it. Oh, I'm sure they are. They want One, to cover that shit up. Yeah. Bad so business, again. <laughs> oh, yeah, they've, that place is nuts. Like, the, uh, anyway, like, if you r look into that, everything is so weird about how that was handled, as that goes. In the book, Rachel describes an exorcism of so someone who had a realm walker attached to him. He was a very handsome, very talented A-list celebrity. She refers to him as Mr. Va Bad Vibes in the book. Oh. Obviously, she's not going to tell us who he is. Mr. Bad Vibes. Yeah, Mr. Bad Vibes w had a very successful career from the jump, but he also had volatile relationship after volatile relationship that were always in the tabloids. He was suffering from insomnia horribly. He was lashing out at his loved ones. Finally, somebody referred him to Rachel. He showed up at her door in shambles. He told her that he thought he was going to kill somebody. 
literally he was afraid he was going to do it and he didn't know what to do and she asked him who and he's like i don't know just pretty much anybody that's more dangerous than knowing who you're gonna kill because that just means that spirit that entity just wants to fucking yeah through you so he was really battling this demon he was and he wanted it gone so she did an exorcism on mr bad vibes this exorcism took three fucking days Wow. And she had to work on him continuously. She couldn't stop because if she stopped at any point or tried to take a break, the Realm Walker would get its like power back immediately because yeah. it's a fucking Realm Walker. Mm-hmm. So the Realm Walker that was attached to this guy took three days to expel. He had the most movie-style exorcism that you would think. So he was throwing up in convulsions, sweating profusely, couldn't keep anything down. Rachel, although he was physically in terrible shape, she didn't even want to stop to even try and call 911 because if she just stopped for that minute, the Realm Walker would just regain it was angry now too it would regain its power it could act through him and kill them both this thing is nothing to fuck with finally once the realm walker was physically spent it started to just kind of work through the the client by emotionally berating rachel calling her a whore, doing all the things that they do eventually she was able to finally expel it when she expels a realm walker, it's just as anticlimactic as any other entity. It just kind of suddenly just <laughs> and disappears. <laughs> so just like poof. after all of that, it's just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> his exorcism was successful. She was able to expel it from him. And afterwards, his career flourished. He was getting better roles. He had become extremely spiritual. He surrounds himself with good people. And although she hasn't spoken since with him since, which I always think is like interesting that a lot of the stories she tells these people might not even talk to her again but then years or months later we'll run into her or happen to call her up and be like oh my god thank you yeah but she can see that he's still doing well and yeah he's another person that she was able to successfully help and that's awesome as i was saying she can see these entities and photographs attached to people originally when she was first doing her exorcism work as you know she was doing this only by word of mouth you couldn't get to her unless you knew somebody who knew her. Yeah. This was sad for us because we were like, damn, we need an exorcism. Yeah. Well, turns out you can go to Rachel's website now and you can reach out to her. No about way. About an exorcism. Yeah. Oh my God. We're yeah. going to LA. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to LA. Planning our exorcism now. We're so. going to go get tacos in LA. <laughs> Got tacos in LA. <laughs> Oh my god, please. Their tacos are probably so I fucking good there. I don't like LA, though. I was there for, I don't know, four days, maybe a week. And I I guess I'd have to go to a certain part. But there's nothing I, I, that draws me there. Oh, yeah. maybe going to see her. We'll I mean, I'm drawn there because I love Hollywood and film and all that shit. Hollywood? What did you say? Hollywood. Um, <laughs> Hollywood? 
We'll have to like look it up and see if there's anything oh, yeah. going on. Try and, and plan like, a trip to... or something. Yes. Like, we could totally get our exorcisms. We could take her her uh, course. I need so... that. Maybe I'll stop attracting people with entities. Yeah, <laughs> me too. There is lighter entities that we are surrounded by. We are also protected by angels, by spirit guides, by our ancestors. But she says that all things, even the bad things, come from source or spirit or God or Yahweh or Allah or the universe or whatever you want to call it. It all comes from the same thing and it's the good and the bad. Source is the creator that all things come from. She has always had her connection to spirit as well as having her connection to the dark. That's the only thing that's able to keep her safe. She describes how children and animals are much closer to spirit than us as adults because they're just children are obviously closer to that point from when they came from source mm-hmm. and animals are innocent even even the big scary ones they're yeah. just they're innocent like yeah. they're just here to live their lives yeah i wanted to tell you a little story about her familiar <gasps> a cat yes i was yes. just gonna ask you yes. if she had pets because i couldn't remember yes she has a dog and a cat and her dog like she just explains her dog is very sensitive and can see all the things all the time and gets very scared easily but she also had a cat named isis that she adopted she found him yeah little cat had oh well i don't know i mean he might still be around (laughs) i didn't see anything yeah Yeah, so isis Isis (laughs) was found in a parking lot near a fucking garbage thing or whatever as as you do animals isis was brought to her all across the country even was around for when she started doing exorcisms and she said that there was a friend that used to come visit her and this friend had a wraith attached to him isis could see the wraith did not like the wraith and was so upset by her this friend having this wraith attachment that isis the cat started losing her hair about it (gasps) Like licking and like... Yeah, probably just super anxiety. Her hair was just falling out in clumps and she was like going bald. Rachel was like, dude, I think I need to give you an exorcism. Please let me do this because this is also going to help my cat. Aww. Yeah, so she gave the guy the exorcism. He was fine. And Isis's hair grew back. And I just thought that was really sweet because Aww. she was just describing how animals are much closer and they can see. That's such a familiar that. helping with your spiritual yeah. work and guidance. Yeah. Aww. Aww. That's sweet. When we talk about Rachel being a non-denominational exorcist, she just wants to point out that because she's non-denominational, she works with all different archetypes. Most the ones that she typically is going to call in are her spirit guides that are specific to her. So this would be her ancestors sometimes or whoever. She also works often with the goddess Hecate. And she also calls in St. Germain and the Archangel Michael quite often. She will also work with several Egyptian goddesses. This is non-denominational. She mentions that sometimes Jesus shows up during her exorcisms because, you know, say she's giving an exorcism to somebody who identifies as Christian. Jesus will come in for that person. She says she also has seen Buddha come in. Really cool. awesome. Yeah, and they're all entity, and those are good entity, obviously. I would just love to see, like, a big, fat Buddha just walking in. Yeah. Munching on some chips. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, here to that's help. Not, that's a certain type of Buddha, actually. Okay, sorry. 
But anyway, <laughs> there is the fat Buddha, but a real, like, typical Buddha would not be fat because they don't indulge like that. Oh, okay. Well, so, maybe he's just big boned. I don't know. I don't know. I, There's a, know. I don't remember anyway. what the story behind the fat Buddha is, but there I is digress. a story. <laughs> yes. So she also, working with whatever spiritual gods or goddesses that help you feel good, just make sure you're not working with a trickster. Some herbs that you can burn to help heighten your frequency, copal, frankincense, and myrrh that they use in a lot of Christian rites. They stole that from the pagans. She says that we should probably practice meditation and also just watch what you ingest whether that's food and movies with ingestion we think about meat and how that meat was brought to your table yes factory farming this is kind of a sidebar i'm just going to go into a lot of the food that you're getting at your supermarket is coming from a factory farm when we talk about animals dying very tragically like at the slaughterhouse yeah at the slaughterhouse such as that building that she had to exercise yeah all those animal spirits were trapped there and i'm a meat eater but I try my best, but no matter what, if your animal is, if the meat you're eating is coming from a factory farm, there's going to be some sad energy on that meat, unfortunately. Maybe try and, if you don't want to completely cut out meat, maybe go to an actual meat farm or butcher grass-fed food as much as possible because that's if you have to eat meat because you know not everybody can cut it out try to eat the more high frequency meat if you can yeah which is also hard because everything in our just being able to afford food nowadays is impossible yeah that's just a little bit of stuff, but I wanted to let you guys know that you can reach out to Rachel for an exorcism, and I'm going to have her website linked in the show notes. You can also learn a little bit more about what she's doing now. Like I mentioned, she has that special on Tubi, which is the celebrity exorcism that I said I was going to talk about, and then I didn't, but I wanted to just tell you guys a little bit about that. So in the celebrity exorcism, Char Jackson, Jody Sweeten, oh, and Meta World Peace, who is a basketball player. Wait, the Stephanie, the one that plays used to Stephanie. Play Stephanie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got her podcast on my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she's on Celebrity Exorcism along with Meta World Peace, who is the basketball player, and Char Jackson, who is another child star actress. They all think they're gonna go to the ghost hunting thing. So they're all going to meet up in and they're all sitting there and they're all like, ooh, and Meta, he's super scared. And Char is also a little iffy about it, but Jody Sweeten's kind of like you and I. She's just like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Yeah. I'm just going to say this kind of shows the difference between white people and black people and how they deal with the paranormal because yeah. Jody Sweeten's the fucking typical white person running in head just first, gonna, yeah. just like, I don't give a shit. And then you have Char Jackson and Meta who are like, no. No, 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 yeah. no, no. They're pretty scared about it. Like in um, Get Out when he's like, I told you not to go in there. Yeah, house. like shit like that. <laughs> so they're thinking they're just going to go on a ghost hunting thing. And then Rachel shows up and she's like, hi, I'm an exorcist. And they're all like, oh. I guess they kind of work with her for a week in the episode. And she talks to them about their own spiritual gifts that they all have. And oh. then also, I don't want to, I think everybody should watch it if you like spooky shit. But, you know, we mentioned Ouija boards or spirit boards because Ouija's a specific brand but a spirit board she has a section where they work with her spirit board 
And they're able to connect with their loved ones who have passed. Oh my and God. there's a couple really sweet moments there because she wants to kind of open them up to it at first. Yeah. But later on in the episode, they're actually there to help her out with her exercising the Rosenheim mansion. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Also, her story, she's actually developing it into a script to be written into a TV show. Oh my God, how yeah. cool. Yeah, so a lot of stuff's going on with her. She's doing some really cool shit. She is a bad bitch. Yeah, I like, love this Rachel Sanders. Yeah, I like, we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna meet this lady. She's gonna give us an exorcism someday. Yeah. That was my bad bitch of the week. The non-denominational exorcist of Hollywood, Rachel Stavis. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, I keep saying it's Stavis. It's Stavis, Rachel yeah. Stavis. Yeah. That was such a good one. I was so excited about I know, that one. Me too. I don't even know how long we've been recording. I can't. Let's see. That's okay. Oh my god, this is so long. <laughs> oh, Should we split it in two? No, it's uh, it an Halloween hour and a half. special, man. Halloween we, special. This is gonna take so long to fucking edit. I knew this was gonna be long because it was fourteen pages. Yeah, and it's something <laughs> we're both really into. Yes. This is also going to be brought up in further episodes because I have an episode I've really been working on and if my my project my baby part of the reason I really wanted to do this podcast yeah and we're gonna go into the possibility that she had an entity yeah so I'm yeah. really glad we got to do this now yeah before. um I think about this so much yes I've sent paragraphs from this book to people that I know have Clive's yeah. And I'm like, listen, I like, you think I'm crazy, but they've come back to me and said, you know, you're not the first person that have told me this. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I think I totally have some, I definitely have some shit sitting in my gut. I wonder oh, about yeah, rates. So do I. Like, I wonder about that. Yeah, guys, I hope you found this really long ass, scary fucking episode. Really great for your Samhain. Happy yes. Halloween. Happy Samhain. Happy All Souls Day. I know that's coming up to All Saints Day or whatever it is. Yeah. This was so much fun. My, Thanks, ep- my next episode is going to be a little more decompressing. It's going to be a funny one. So. Okay, great. Yeah, because we're, you know, coming out of spooky season, we're going to start getting more into just regular people. Again. Well, I'm so... Well, Not I'm regular still people, but, you know. into, like, spooky shit. Oh, yeah, but... we're spooky bitches, so we're always going to be bringing you yeah. the spooky stuff. But the next one I hope you find is funny, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's all, guys. Make sure you follow us. Please give us some nice ratings. Five-star reviews. Yeah, share us with your friends, please. Yeah, stay bad, bitches. Stay bad. Bye. Bad Bitch segment is written and hosted by Kate Salamone and Courtney Janicki. Sound editing by Courtney Janicki. Podcast art by Laura Grote at LA Promotional Design. Follow us on Instagram at Bad Bitch Segment. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. <laughs>